Well, you probably can't tell because I have this uh, infamous black background, but I, I refound this this hoodie. Here, look, I'll put it on. This is like the 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 like, you know, lobster fisherman's hoodie here. It well, looks like a business eyes. hoodie. It's it's this uh, I don't know what you call it. It's kind of like wool, but it's like brushed is brushed wool something bursted. But that's not what I exactly what I want to talk about the wool. But I refound it. I was very excited. I thought I might have taken this back to Austin and stuck it in the storage shed because I'm not going to stand up and show you. But this is one of those those uh, I think the word jumper is more inclusive than hoodie. Right. A hoodie can be a jumper. Jumper is a very British European word, right? I don't think yeah, jumpers don't yeah. have hoods, right? Isn't that the isn't that a distinction? It's good good. So I don't know what <laughs> let's let's call this a hoodie, but it's this style of thing which I feel is somehow nautical and it doesn't have pockets on the side. It only has one big pocket on the belly that has a zipper. Weird. Right? And I'm sure you've seen these. And and what I want to know is like what the fuck is up with that it's like like i would i could understand like if you have if you have like you see right here like a zipper right Mm -hmm. if you have a zipper pocket in the middle but you also have to have hand pockets right so this is why i stopped wearing this and lost it uh, is like i would always want to put my hands in pockets and the pockets are never there and so i don't like i once there was a, a a dad who a dad of um, one of Cormac's classmates who worked for Tommy Hilfiger. And I thought like, I know I've seen Tommy Hilfiger outfits, not outfits, but things with this, this pouch in the front. And I kept wanting to ask him, dude, what's up with this pocket in the front? You must know, but I never got around to it. So So, do you think it's a fashion thing or is it more like utility where they think that you're going to have like an overcoat on top of the the jacket because it's very cold? I guess so. I mean, that's got to be it, right? Like, like this, it's got to be something like that. But then the, I mean, the issue, I think it is some sort of like utility thing, not a fashion thing, right? Because I don't, it's just, it feels like that. I don't know. We know and, like and the then, old school windbreakers that you could fold up into the yes. pouch. Like, is that what they're trying? I can't imagine that would work without like an actual hoodie. I mean, that seems. Yeah. That seems I don't think this would fold up into this pouch. Cause it's like stiff wool, you know, mm-hmm. like it's bizarre. Where did you get so this I, again? Wait, go back. Like, for, like where was this purchased? Maybe that's like where a walk spot hoodie or it was, it was, it was like in the, uh, you know, at the Patagonia site, there's like the, the secret discount site. Okay. Have you ever come across that? There's yeah. like, it's not the stuff that's on sale. It's maybe like the recycled returned. It's ambiguous, but there's a whole other site. And I bought mm. this many, many years ago. And I was excited when we moved to Amsterdam. Cause I was like, Oh, I can finally wear this. Cause you wouldn't wear a thing like this, you know? And anyway, right. now it's got this other thing on the side. It has a zipper that comes up to like, right. Kind of like, uh, I don't know, like right where your rib cage begins when you're standing to get, make it easier to come get on and get off. So I just I'm so confused by it. I feel is like it, because is it's it Patagonia. for like snow sports or something. Is it what? Is it for snow sports? Like you'd wear it over uh, ski bib or something? I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what to search for. I searched for a hoodie only. Because that side zipper makes pocket. it sound like you might need to get to underlayers that are, are overalls. Yeah, I think it was advertised that this zipper made it easier to take on and off. So maybe it's supposed to be like an underlayer thing. I mean, Brandon's theory is good. And the, the, the thing, like if, if you had a jacket over this that had pockets, 
right? Then you would put it there. But then the issue becomes like, but then wouldn't you just zip that jacket up and then the pouch would be inaccessible? Exactly. It does seem like that this is like, you probably ventured into when you're on the discount site, like into like some kind of specific climbing gear or something like, because none of us participate in the sport actively, we have no idea why it's important, but like maybe yes. if you were like a rock climber, ice fisherman, something along these lines that Patagonia would be selling to, you'd be like, Oh, that's exactly what I needed. Side zipper pouch. That was, I've been, I need it. Like, yes. And maybe you would pay extra for it, but we have no idea and why zipper, this is. So- the zipper, so it doesn't, you know, nothing falls out when you're free soloing, uh, you know, enchanted yeah. rock or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's what's going on. Like we're just not active enough in the sport to know why you would need that. You know, you just I mean, need, I mean, you need to go back to Costco. They don't have this problem at Costco. Yeah, yeah, Everything yeah. has pockets. I, well, I had they... this. I had almost the same conversation like yesterday. Uh, my daughter's going on a hiking trip, and she has to have a sixty liter hiking backpack. And you know, it's like you're going to use this thing once. And so she's looking at like three, $400 backpacks. I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> and she's like, why are they so expensive? I'm like, because real people, you know, people who get into these things, they have real uses. You and I are going to find the cheapest one. <laughs> Just because it's going to get chewed so, up. So shopping clearance, you're going to get yourself some, some odd fits. I think you're right though, Brandon. I think this is clearly the, the kind of outfit that a, not, not an ice fisherman, but an ice harvester would wear. Like, oh. like whatever that we, we've had to watch a lot of frozen recently. So, you know, I have the idea of, uh, so, so, so you're channeling your inner Sven. Is that the guy's name? No, no. It's, it, his Sven is the, uh, well, I guess he does harvest ice, doesn't he? Huh. <laughs> but that's just like in the, yeah, that's his whole business. So he's upset as I recall. My, my, uh, my grandfather was a nice man. This episode is brought to you by CBT nuggets. Are you looking to build your it skills? Do you want to learn more about IT security, cloud computing, or networking? Then it's time to visit CBT Nuggets. They offer over 350 courses and over 2,000 virtual labs. They have courses available on everything, including AWS, Linux, VMware, and even Salesforce. Best of all, it's available online so you can learn what you want, when you want. CBT Nuggets adds over 40 hours of new training each week, so there's always something new to learn. They also offer accountability coaching, allowing you to speak with a real person who can help you create a personalized learning plan, set goals, and check in to make sure you stay on track. To get started, visit cbtnuggets.com slash stt. That's cbtnuggets.com slash stt. There you can sign up for the seven-day free trial, which gets you full access to all their courses. Start learning today at cbtnuggets.com slash stt. And of course, we thank them for sponsoring our show. Well, this is the week. We're finally going to review... Uh, a book i think i think that also implies that we finally read a book yes. which you know i'm i'm always hyped about uh and that is that is i don't know the full the full title uh but it, it is the uh, most recent book about amazon called working backwards which uh takes its name uh just as a little preview that when they're thinking about a new business idea there at amazon they think about what the customer's doing and they work backwards from there hence some of the practices now uh i don't know Let's let's I, I think Brandon is the most passionate about this. So I want to start with you, Brandon. Give us let's start with a kind of an overview of the book and then let's get into, uh, you know, judgments. OK, so the book, uh, so the official title, Working Backwards, and then uh, the subtitle is Insights, Stories and Secrets from Inside Amazon. 
And so the book's written by two former Amazon executives. They were both there for approximately 13 years, I think one slightly longer. So Each, yeah. 27 years total, and they kind of call that out. So though I would describe the book more, more like a, almost like a, a textbook kind of like, you know, here's how we do it. So if you're kind of expecting some kind of like narrative nonfiction, you know, like uh, the everything story, that's not this book. This book is more like, here's how they do it. And it is sort of structured in a way of like, you know, here's what this means. Here's what this means. And they give you a little bit around why. Um, and it's obviously written by two people that had very ex uh, good careers there. They both, I think, you know, were there for 14 years and they moved up to pretty significant roles. So they, I'm sure they made a lot of money. So I always just think of like, you know, kind of going into this, like, you know, the person that should read it is like, you're really interested in like how they do things at Amazon, not necessarily the stories uh, yeah, about like yeah. what went on. It's more like, this is what it is. And I do think anyone, and maybe starting on the, like who should read this, anyone that wants to eventually work at Amazon or wants to know kind of like the bits and bites of like what they do at Amazon, this would be the book to read for that. Cause that's definitely going to do that. Now I think of like how I read it kind of going into it was as kind of, you know, they kind of say in the title here, my goal was sort of like thinking about, all right, like what are the secrets, right? Because I sort of go back and forth in phases of these books. Like I swear off ever reading another business book and then eventually I do it. But when I read them, I'm always looking for like, okay, what is something that is very different from what I've seen before that I think is good or is provocative even that just makes me think um, and that maybe I could either use in my own job or maybe just like have it in my tool bag. So that's kind of like my mentality is always like, that's what I'm going to be looking for inside of these books. And then just sort of like, I always look at just the authors. It's like, you're obviously reading a book from people who've had great careers and really cherish their time there. So you have to kind of go in there knowing that this is a book of like really, you know, cheerleaders of Amazon, right? They've had a huge success. So, you know, I think it's just sort of like knowing the bias as you go in, there's nothing wrong with it. So, yeah. but don't expect a lot of like dirt or a lot of like criticism, right? You're going to hear a lot of praise about like, this is the way. Um, but within that, I think the challenge in these books is like, okay, putting that aside, can you objectively find things that you think are useful or things that maybe aren't useful? I think that's also helpful to see like, oh, they do it that way. And I think it's wrong. So that's sort of like, I think the summary of the book and that's how I thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, in that, in that meta layer there, I mean, you know, as people who listen to reviews of things, you always know when you someone starts with this tone and overview, they're about to probably not like the thing they're going to talk about, which is nice. You start with the, uh, what do I like to call it? The reverse open face shit sandwich. Uh, but, you know, I, th I think that when I was reading through this book, uh, the thing I was, I was to, to give it a little bit of a, uh, of a challenge, like the thing I'm always looking for in this book is like, how do you apply this to other places? Because, yeah. you know, and it, this is this is a sort of mild halo effect type of thing, a reference we haven't made in a while is like, you know, the uh, uh, if you're if if you're documenting something that happened that was successful, then you kind of just learn that something was successful. And it's hard to like say if we uh, if we applied these same things, th this is some kind of scientific method thing, like a control group. I forget how that works, but like we have to be able to repeat this this advice across all sorts of different organizations. Otherwise, you know, I kind of a little bit contradictory what you're not contradictory, but on the other side, then it, it just becomes a narrative of what happened rather than a, to a general toolbox for people to use. And I think, you know, as you're going over it, I think uh, I, I agree with like what I'm looking for in a, in a book like this is like, what is, what are those, 
I'll just use the word secrets. Obviously, if you publish it in a book, it ceases to be a secret. Uh, but you know what? What are those? What What are these secrets that uh, the, these people are doing that's so different? And I like the way you put it that it has to be something that is like uh, dramatically different. And you know, we we already know about like the six page memo and the uh, what do they call it? The PR fact, which are things we can yeah. define. And it seems like. If we didn't know about those, those would be pretty cool things. Those would have been secrets to reveal because they are drastically different. And uh, I don't know, but but that was a lengthy, more or less agreeing. But how about yourself, Matt Ray? Now, now let's let, let's we didn't really go over the things, but let me let me give it just a quick overview. Like uh, Matt Ray has put the table of contents in here, which is very handy. <laughs> but fill in the details where I'm I'm. Uh, unkind due to brevity and and that is basically so uh very like frugal here here's here, here's uh, amazon <laughs> well, they've got they've got their 14 principles frugality what, is i was gonna say and maybe this is where we should start right it's like the all right book, let's start with the principles yeah, the book good. opens yeah, yeah. well i think that sort of like sets the the page right so it's sort of yeah, the yeah, book yeah. opens kind of explaining like amazon is based on what is now 14 core management principles and this they will return to this over and over throughout again, the book. And I think and again, if anyone that's worked at Amazon, like you see, like this is very important is to know these principles and know what they are. Now, probably the first thing about the book that jumps off to me was that they really, um, because I think everyone, you can read about these principles. They're, you know, they're on there. We'll include the link in the show notes. But the first thing they do is they, they just kind of come out and say like, these are the principles. And they don't spend any time explaining why these are the 14 principles are so important. What they do touch on is they say there's a woman named Robin. They said, okay, at some point the company was getting big. They wanted, like you've heard this story a million times, the company is getting big. The company wanted to have a set of principles that people understood how to operate. So they said they assigned this woman, Robin. She went out and she interviewed everyone and came back through a very long process of writing up all the principles. And then this will kind of return over and over about writing. Like writing at Amazon is like the most, probably the most important thing. So she wrote them up many, many times. She met with the S team which again is talked about a lot in the book. That's the uh, senior team, right? That's the core team at Amazon. And then they just kind of say in the book, but it's like very short. They just say, and we came up with these books and uh, principles and Jeff acknowledged them. Right? And it's just, it's kind of, I mean, it, yeah. it has a little like 10 commandments kind of feel to it. It's like, well, and they even kind of say there was nine, then there was 10 and now it's 14. But it isn't like, I was longing for something here about like why yeah. these 14 are really the most important what was left on the cutting room floor. And if you were to do this, like kind of back to like taking something forward, other than going to interview everyone, because I think this is something that's common, um, what else would you do? They kind of make fun of, and you know, and other people have done this as well, say like, well, don't just get in a big room and like have everyone like write on a whiteboard. Like, so they did a little bit more work here. Someone interviewed, but you're, you're really, like it left me lacking. Like what customer obsession, deep, you know, dive deep, are write a lot, like, like why? Like why are these the one the chosen fourteen? Why well, not yeah, have, anything? How about, else? How, about, uh, how about how about one of one of you two go over the fourteen? Just read the just read them really quickly. So I'll I'll, I'll read them off real quick. Um, customer obsession, mm -hmm. ownership, yeah, invent and simplify. All right, a lot. R i g h t meaning you're correct uh, frequently. Right, um, right. Learn and be curious. Hire and develop the best. Uh, insist on the highest standards, think big, bias for action, frugality, earn trust, dive deep, have backbone, 
disagree and commit and deliver results. So yeah, I mean, all those sound like, you know, the kind of thing that you throw up on a whiteboard in an afternoon session, and then you'd be like, that's it, we're doing it. Uh, took Robin nine months. Um, now, I will say what I did here was the one thing that I like that they use the word mechanisms. And, uh, you know, yes. if, if those people that have ever read uh, uh, Ben um, Horowitz's book, Horowitz? he uses virtues, right? So it's like something written down without uh, virtue is what Horowitz calls it, what they call his mechanism. Like, what, what is the thing that you do to make sure that this principle comes alive? So as I went through the book and I was reading, I, I just made a note, like, could I tie a mechanism to this principle in the book. Yeah. And that, that to me means it's like, okay, it's a full-fledged principle if it has a mechanism. So like customer, like we'll get into like debating whether these are good, but at least if you didn't have one of these, I f sort of like discarded you as a principle, like customer obsession. It's like, you could say the mechanism they use is this PR FAQ. We'll talk about it more, right? So it's like, that's the thing that they're trying to use to make that happen. Ownership. I mean, they used to call it two pizza teams. I did learn in this book. Now it's called single threaded leadership. So again, okay. So yeah. you could say they, they do that. Hire and develop the best talent. You could say they implement this bar razor behavioral interviewing thing, right? And insist, yeah. insist on high standards. I think bar razor goes with that. Think big right now. We're starting to like, now I'm a little bit, I'm starting to stretch a little bit, but operating plan and the narratives, that was at least their attempt to do it, right? And then uh, dive deep, and I will have a lot to say on this. The weekly review meetings seem to be, the, that's how they actually do that. Now, for the rest of them, I found it very hard. Like, I'll write a lot. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like, how would you measure that? <laughs> like, I mean, other than, you know, because that one, I'll write a lot in bias for action um, and deliver results. Like, they, in fact, they kind of almost like, to me, they, um, or think big and are write a lot are, are kind of in conflict. Like, like to be right a lot, unless you literally can see the future, you kind of have to only do things that you have a really high probability of succeeding because you know a lot about them. Right. Well, and, and, but, but, but they, they tie to, they tie to the other, uh, the other principles. I mean, you know, bias for action, what they're saying is like, you know, you need to be right a lot, but you also can't sit around trying to spend over spend time making decisions and and so yeah, they're like I think these, they, these they actually point I, out that sometimes these are in conflict yeah, right? yeah and I, but i also say like these five i kind of kick them out as principles like i couldn't find in the book where it's like are right a lot like like what does like yeah. what is the mechanism same thing learn I mean, and be curious like what does that mean i read a book i ask questions like you know bias for action like what is, okay like really what does that mean it feels like bias for action should be bias for writing six-page memos that seems to be the <laughs> that seems the action right earn trust well, let me just finish. I got two more earn trust. Like, again, like, what does that mean? Like, how, like, how do I know if I'm earning trust? How do I measure that? How do I, because trust is something I have to ask, you know, you have to agree that I, that you trust me. So that one didn't feel like it. And then deliver results kind of like, to me, that's sort of like at odds with another thing they talk about input metrics. It's like, well, we're focused on the out, the, the results, but we're also only going to be responsible for the input metrics. So the, all of those, I was like, none of those to me and anyone that works at Amazon, I mean, all I know is the books and like talking to people. So it's like, maybe, maybe, Hey, they didn't get to it in the book, but none of those like had mechanisms to me that made me feel like they are really first class principles. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think, I think these, uh, uh, well, let's see when, it, when I was reading the narrative, these 14 principles there's some of them there's maybe one or two that are sort of like unique is the wrong word but that do not follow into the following category which is is there any 
organization that would not have all of these, right? So like, is, is there an, or, you know, maybe an organization would limit itself to three principles, but like, if you ask any organization, is this a way that you want your organization to be? I think all of them, each organization would say yes, right? Yeah. Like, like they might want to rephrase it. So now we didn't read like the little explanation that goes with it. Uh, so, so there is, so sometimes the summary, and I'll pick on one of these to make this point. Sometimes the summary is a little too brief for what I think it's going for. Now, second, uh, in the narrative, what becomes important for these, these principles is when there's a couple of stories about how they come into play and what that actually means. And those are a lot more interesting than just the, the titles on their own. Now, the third thing I would say, and then I'll use a little, maybe a little uh, proof, proof backing up here, like I used to do in my seventh grade English class, is like some of these, a lot of these, the way that they're posed is that very outsider view we have of Amazon, which is like, this sounds like an exhausting place to work, full, <laughs> full of like hard chargers who like are really focused on doing work. Our racers. Yeah, yeah. And so, so for example, right, like what was the, oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, something like bias for action, like, you know, you're not going to go to not Amazon company and they're going to be like bias for action. No, I don't think that's a principle that we want, right? Like I, that's, we're just, we don't want that. Like maybe if you got those two like orange juice, like commodities people from that trading places movie in a room on their own, they would say they don't want a bias for action, but whatever. Uh, like, but you know, so you look at bias for action at speed matters in business. Many decisions are, and actions are reversible and do not need extensive study. We value calculated risk-taking now. I would not label that bucket of things bias for action. I see like bias for action in that case is a consequence of, of what those are, which actually kind of some of these principles are like, they're a consequence of, of what's going on there. But when I read that little, that short description and remembering the stories of bias for action in there, right? Like a key, and I was never quite certain if this is true in a unique way, but that's something to think about. But like when I read what this bias for action thing is, like what I'm reading is, oh, you should try out a bunch of new things instead of, as we would say, do a bunch of waterfall stuff. Now, as a footnote, they actually do a tremendous, a shit ton of waterfall process throughout yeah. this book. But let's put that over here. But what it does mean, and, and the example that I'm remembering that they're using is like, uh, instead of having a whole lot of analysis and, and doing things like, we tried to figure out how we could try things out. And then, you know, this, I forget which dude it was. He's the one who headed up the digital thing. And he kind of walks through, we tried out. And by try out, I was never quite sure if they went to market or they just kind of had a bias for action on a whiteboard and just kind of thought it out and hunted out business development and things like that. But like they thought through all sorts of ideas in a management consultancy kind of way of things that they would do in a digital world and finally ended up at a Kindle, right? So my whole point is like that bias for action thing. Like, I mean, everyone wants a bias for action. No one's going to be like bias for analysis. Uh, but I, th I think I think the, a notion of like, you know, taking risks and experimenting is more of the important thing. And then, you know, to the earn trust thing, right? Which, you know, looking at this now, like earn trust is pretty vague. Like, but, but you know, I think that, and, and I'm going to use the one phrase. There's four sentences. Well, leaders listen attentively, speak candidly, and treat others respectfully. Sure, unlike ones that don't. 
they are vocally self or, or ones that organizations that would declare that they don't. They are vocally self-critical even when doing so is awkward or embarrassing. So we're getting to something there, right? You're encouraging people to expect their managers to be like humble. And then leaders do not believe they're there or their team's body odor smells of perfume. Now, I think this phrase occurs occurs perhaps the most of any phrase in the book. I mean, that's an exaggeration. <laughs> Maybe it just jumps out the most. Yeah, but like I remember hearing this phrase over and over again, and I would have to stop and think like, I don't know what that means. Like, I get, and, and I guess it's another way of saying like, be humble, right? And then, yeah. and then they benchmark themselves and their teams against the best. Now that gets back to the point of like, that sounds exhausting. Uh, but like, like it, you know, so the earn trust thing, it seems like what's getting there is management and other people need to be humble and not arrogant. And by doing so, you will earn the trust of people working for you because you're not like some arrogant overlord. Right. And I think like the, that. that's a good one to like pick on because I think, you know, back to kind of what I was saying before, like if you can't identify the mechanisms, because the other ones I think I went through, there's some unique mechanisms. So you don't see these at every place. So that's why I would sort of like, okay, that's unique. But like the earn trust, like one to your thing about the, the perfume line, like, it's repeated so much that they actually take time to explain that they debated whether or not language like that could be oh, used that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in the yeah, thing, yeah. which is in itself, I think, a sign that like, you know, again, I'm not going to say I'm a great writer, but like maybe the writing, if you have to debate that, maybe the, the writing is kind of too, isn't appropriate, right? So I think what you said there is a lot, like you could make it a lot simple, simpler, right? Be humble, earn the, you know, is it earn trust of your subordinates. And then I think you could then follow that up with, with a company that has so many metrics, you could say, we measure trust the following way. And there'd be a lot of ways they could do it. We take a survey, we do this, we do, you know what I mean? Well, like there should be something that ties it back because otherwise that is very arbitrary. Like, of course, in a hierarchical organization, if you are asked on the spot, uh, do you trust your boss? Like, you know, everyone is, is going to say yes, right. That's going to be. And so like, if you're going to put this on here, like what would, there are unique ways to measure this if this is so important. And if it isn't so important, maybe it's not a value. But I, I, I feel like a lot of, I mean, a lot of this does sound like stuff you've seen other places, but the difference is, is the level of pedantry that they come back to it. Right. The fact that they keep iterating on it over and over again. And, you know, that, um, you know, whenever, whenever there's, you know, any sort of conversation, they're like, well, let's take it back to the principles. And I think what differentiates this from a lot of other places is they might give these things lip service and they might be like, oh, of course we're Mm going to, you know, have bar raisers, but Amazon actually goes through and makes processes out of things that they consider, you know, Oh yeah, you should do this. This is how we'll measure it. So when they talk about you know earn trust, that kind of goes back to the, the whole API, like every everybody having APIs to every other like group. You know the whole yeah. like like breaking up everything instead of being a monolithic hierarchical company, they're actually more cell based, mm-hmm. right? They're like they're a bunch of you know ten person teams that have contracts with each other, and each little team is kind of independent and. I don't know. I, to me, it works because 
they follow it up, you know, just well, to me, I guess I would service. just say like, I would, you know, I mean, you know, kind of like in the PR FAQ kind of thing. It's like, or to me, it's this old school future benefits. I think what you want is principal mechanism on a grid. And that's basically what I did. So I sort of graded this out as like six of 14. I feel like I can identify a mechanism that they like institute this by. And therefore I'm like, that's great. I think that's the way everyone should do it. The other ones, yeah. if you, um, if you can't, right, then I don't think it. it's just maybe it's just a nice idea. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It just doesn't, to me, raise to the level of a principle, right? Because like, don't it's sort of a waste of time. It's like, yeah, be nice to everyone, be courteous, you know, yeah. whatever. Wash wash your hands, be clean, right? It's like it doesn't none of that really matters, right? So that would be awesome if that was actually in a principle. <laughs> maybe for doctors and stuff, but I, I think maybe to meld together in my mind what you two are saying, and then also to get to like the. Uh, uh, to use a cliche, the heart of like my thinking about this book, right? So, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. These 14 principles are great. There's the part about the exhausting things I would take out, right? Like I would want a principle, like it is notable. Is this, let me, let me check if, if this is in here. You know, one thing that I don't remember hearing in the book, I mean, I don't know about companies you've worked for, but the, a lot of the times that companies I work for, especially recently they spend a lot of time being like you know you should take some time for yourself to like make sure that you're that's, in a good that, that's a state. recent thing <laughs> yeah yeah well i i mean i mean even you know like and there's there, there's almost like this uh you know there'll be like uh i don't know there, there's always when i was younger this kind of stuff would annoy me but like it feels like at many large organizations there's like the equivalent of like you know the 1980s IBM like hot dog softball thing on the weekend. Right. You know, you go there in your big family. And like, I didn't quite get the sense in reading no, through this. No, I think the opposite. In fact, I actually would call that out as like interesting, different, and kind of like in some way refreshing, right? Like I, I think they make it clear. They say something to the effect of Amazon and its frugality, right? It doesn't have a lot. It doesn't have like free snacks and free lunch and all those things. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. they make the point that the reward of working at Amazon is a, is a job that's challenging, you know, with well-defined goals and, you know, yeah, ultimately yeah. that's fulfilling. And like, I have to say, like when I read it, I was like, I, I found that like refreshing, like the job, we're trying to give you a job that we think is interesting and fulfilling yeah, to yeah. you. It, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on anything else. And if that's not what you like, it was, it was stated so plainly. It's like, if that's not what you want, this is probably not the right place. And I was like, yeah, I really, I mean, I connected with that. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know that, that, and, and then I'll, let me get to the the thing I was, uh, ambling towards. This reminds me of something that that a, a, a Microsoft senior VP told me once. And he said, oh yeah, uh, when I'm at work, I do a kick-ass job. And then when I go home, I do a kick-ass job. And like one, that bravado like is, was always, is always adorable. But two, it's sort of like, it almost feels like this, the, the, at least what's said in this book is like, there's this principle of like, work is for work and family is for family. And it, so, you know, it's sort of like, and may, you know, obviously not everyone is a total asshole about things, right? Like a, that would be near impossible. Uh, but like, you know, this, it doesn't seem to be quite that mixing. Like it doesn't feel like flexible schedule is a phrase that would come up very often. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it does. Now, uh, I'm just saying that that's not the impression I got from, from the book. Um, but uh, the other thing, so, uh, you know, as you're saying, Brandon, right? Like, it's nice to know that's a great principle or whatever. So what tool do I have? Or as you say, mechanism, what tool do I have? What process? How does that get enabled? Right? Like, what is the thing that I do? And then, and then 
I forget exactly how you were saying it, uh, Matt, Ray, but what it, it was making me think of like the thing I kept seeking for in this book was like, was like, this is all awesome. And I still haven't learned the secret of how everyone actually does it. Right. Like all of these, all of these principles are great, right? Like they're fantastic, but like every single day, everyone, I mean, everyone, enough people have to show up where they actually follow the principles. And I don't quite know yet how that gets put into place, right? Like we have somehow learned that we need to check our, us Americans, that we need to check our email all the time. We still haven't learned that you need to make sure everyone can actually come to your meeting if you send them a schedule. But there are certain like workplace practices that we all sort of like do. I'd have to think about to think what they are, but like they're very common, right? Like we know these things. And, and like all of these principles and all of the things that the authors go over, I never got the sense of like, how, how do you get the organization to actually do all these things? Because that, I mean, in, in the work that I do, that's always the challenge is like to, to, to make, uh, you know, a slight jabbing mockery of, of the, uh, the, the idiom or whatever, right? The technology is not hard. The culture is not hard. Just fucking doing it is hard right? Like none of these things are, there's plenty of books in every airport and you can download and all this stuff and they'll tell you exactly what you need to do. But like, right. for some reason, people don't do it. This episode is brought to you by strong DM. Are you managing a gazillion SSH database passwords and Kubernetes certs? How do you manage an audit at that scale? Meet strong DM. The only way to simplify infrastructure access and audit controls across any environment, no matter how diverse. StrongDM extends any SSO to centrally manage access to databases, servers, and Kubernetes clusters, so onboarding and offboarding can be done in a single click. Escalate privileges with just-in-time access and automatically log every query and command. Trusted by companies like Hearst, Peloton, and SoFi, StrongDM is the only way to manage access and audit controls at scale without disrupting your workflows. Start your 14-day free trial at strongdm.com slash SDT. There's no credit card required. That's strongdm.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. So as, as kind of an example of, of like, how do you get people to actually do this? And it's kind of a uh, uh, coming in from the side here example. Um, I don't know. This would be an interesting thought exercise to go through to be about what, how are people actually thinking and operating differently than what normally goes on? So about a third of the way through the book, they go through, and I lost track of the OPP and OP1 and OP2 and, you know, OP from that TV show or whatever. You're not down with OPP. But like, so you're going to have to, you keep track of this stuff better than I do, Brandon. So you'll have to correct me. But like, basically they do their annual planning and I guess they call yep. it the operation plan. And yes. like, I remember specifically, I was walking when I could take the baby on a walk in the morning, I walk to the zoo because when you get to the Southern part of the zoo, they have one of those very characteristic Amsterdam barrel urinal things. You, did y'all ever, I'm sure Wait, if you what? were over here, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like uh, it kind of goes up to maybe three feet above your head. And like, it's this, it's always painted dark green. I'll have to get a picture. And it's, um, it's sort of like, it's like a, 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 a barrel sized thing that you stand and you get into, and there's a urinal that you can pee there. And like, you know, I've just drank a lot of, uh, of coffee in the morning and I have to pee. So it takes me about, you know, 20 minutes to write there. So anyways, I remember I was walking past that. 
I might have even been using it while I was listening to this part at first. And they start going <laughs> over the planning process. And I started being like, okay, got it. Right. Okay. I've been in that. Got it. Done that meeting. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. So where's the part where they like oh, do this, not in a traditional way. Oh, and then yeah, you, you yeah. get to the end of it and it's like, okay, so you do annual planning on a 12 and 18 month cycle that requires a shit ton of work going to meetings with executives pre-wiring they don't i don't think they use the phrase pre-wire but i almost laughed out loud when they were like and of course you talk to managers beforehand like and so you go i it's maybe i inserted that i forget but like let me stop myself from ranting here but like and then of course you have the meetings and then you go have more meetings and just like yep. endless meetings and like what struck me is like okay sure this is i think i might have at this point i might have asked brandon like how long have these people worked at this company? Like, is this the only experience they've ever had? Because they spend a lot of time where they could have just been like annual planning next chapter. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, so there must be, and I, I generally mean this must, I'm not being snarky. Like I didn't get the sense from reading over it, like how this is, if I wanted to go apply this to another gigantic company that's already doing annual planning, I didn't quite understand what I would do that would be different. This would be a classic case if I told my uh, SVE, whatever letter you want to put in front of VP, uh, like of strategy and finance, and I had my, my uh, executive team read this book. This is in, in the same way that when people like us try to get two people to do Agile, they're like, we've been doing Agile since, you know, 1792 or Seven, yeah, seventeen ninety two. Like <laughs> we've always done. <laughs> yeah, like like we've always done agile or DevOps. We've ne just never called it that. And your your senior team would be like, "Oh yes, we've always done OP too. We just yeah. call it, you know, Scooburger's annual final financial strategy um planning, right? Like, yeah. and so yeah, so I think the thing that so it's the I guess to clean up the terminology a little bit. So it's OP one is like kind of like in the summer, so it's basically getting ready for yeah, the annual plan, and then OP two is essentially kind of right after the holiday season. It's sort of refining the plan yeah, for the, the next year. Yeah. And so the and I, I agree. Like I mean, I feel like almost every place I've been will do something similar, right? There's like the first plan, and then there's an adjustment period, right? And that's just yeah. I feel like that's just basic business that mo. I mean, I think I'm probably many people listening to it do it. The thing that I think we can't probably get away from the narratives is probably where we need to tie this in a little bit here. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it seems the way it's portrayed is the amount in detail uh, of an operating plan, I think they would say is significantly more than you would find at other places. And the reason that is, is that, yeah. you know, getting into the whole thing, I think most people listening to this probably know, it's like you have to write the six page narratives and then you essentially present those, you get feedback, and then there's another rewrite. And so you can get into this very long iterative re rewriting process to the point that you actually get it so it's ready to go to the S team. And then on the S team, you have to then present a pretty definitive list of metrics that you're going to be measured that are your input metrics, that they, which is you committing to do things that they're going to measure, and then they're going to grade that against the output, like which is basically going to be revenue. Well, so I think that's yeah. the only part here... You know, what, most of the time what I see, and I'd like to hear your experiences in a second, was just sort of like, it's more like there's a PowerPoint template. You have to fill out yep. the template. You have to put in all your financial information. You have to put in your roadmap. You put in your marketing plans. But it's usually a template. And then I guess you could say, I don't know. I haven't done this. But my impression was like, well, there's a lot more detail in this Amazon. There's definitely a lot more writing. 
right? That was the part that seemed to come in over and over and over again. It's not like you can just change the slide. It's like, you got to rewrite that. So this did strike me as very normal, you know, maybe the detail is more, or maybe without going through it and experience it, like we don't understand the detail, but it wasn't Uh unique in in any significant way. But the the thing, it it keeps coming back to this cell-based organization where, yeah, they do have this upfront planning, but everyone else assumes that what they're writing is a contract. And you can plan against that contract, that API, right? You can plan against this is what that team's going to do. And I can work against that as opposed to I've got a bunch of brownie in motion for the next year. And, you know, what shows up shows up. It, it, now, I will say, though, I will say that's the famous Google rant. We'll put a link in there that the guy, the person from that as an Amazon or Google and just said, hey, you yeah. know, I love this thing. So I, that has been out there for a long time. But I will say having read this because they go into detail about once everyone reads all these plans, only a certain number of them are accepted and they become S team goals. Right. And so yeah, what happens, yeah. they say is upon reading these plans, many are rejected. And then they even co- go into it and says like many times the emails you will get would be something like, unfortunately the S team has rejected your plan. You won't be working on that, but they've approved this other plan and you now have to do this for this other group. Right. So the idea, like, I don't know, it took a little shine off this idea that, like, these are just independent teams and they kind of act and yeah. they do the APIs. It was like, that was very command and control. It was like, okay, well, it turns out, Mr., uh, I'll just make it up, uh, Mr., uh, I'm going to, you know, do something in the book catalog and I had this grand plans. And they're like, actually, no, you will be producing an API uh, for uh, ISBN numbers that does this. And that's what you need to do, right? And 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 you have to, uh, what is it, uh, um, uh, agree and commit, right? And so it did kind of like bring the autonomy part of it, like a little bit like, ah, it's not quite as autonomous as maybe I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, uh, they're, they're definitely not just a whole bunch of like, you know, open source projects doing whatever they feel. It's somebody still has to coordinate, but it still feels like they're formalizing that coordination. You know, yes, there is command and control. At some point, somebody has to make a call, right? You know, but but what this does is it gives your product, your over, you know, the overarching product managers, the people who are like, you know, and, and as they grew, it became like, this is the retail S, S group, right? This is the AWS S group, you know, so so they started, you know, breaking apart things and getting more focused, but if you are managing AWS, for example, like, you know, you can't let each team have like a different way of doing things. You have to instill this rigor of this is the API. You know, you're going to write these things, these proposals, and I'm going to come back and you wrote 12 proposals and I'll approve four and I'll give you two that weren't on your list. And that's what you're going to do. Those other six stretch goals, but I expect to see, you know, these six. And when you have a million employees, you kind of have to do that. No, I agree. Listen, the, the, the process, I mean, they basically call them, you know, it's a S team, Matt. I don't want you to use, don't get, don't get us the S group. I don't think that exists at Amazon. Get oh, us in trouble. S, S team, my friend. Uh, I, I do think yeah, like the metrics, right? Clearly the input metrics are what ties it all together. So they have clearly figured out like, okay, the S team is going to review these metrics every week for the next year. Right. And so that, yeah, you know what you're held group. accountable for. But yeah. this notion, like kind of back to these principles, like, you know, take chance, what was, uh, take risk. I can't remember what I just, I just forgot it. I'm yeah. not, not doing well in the interview. Yet. It's, it's hard um, to take for action. But like, you know, it's like you're being held accountable to very specific metrics. You've maybe had some big ideas and told you're not going to do them. And so again, it just sort of like, to me, it was like, this is much more commanding control to me 
than I maybe would have guessed from the outside. It's like, you're going to be tied to these metrics. And maybe they would say something like, now how you meet the metrics is completely up to you. You have 100% autonomy, right? But you cannot, I, I would think a short career at Amazon would be like, I don't, this S team metric is is bullshit. I'm not doing it. I believe that would end your team, your tenure there very quickly. That is not the kind of uh, feedback they would want. But I I just to finish it off, it's like, I've seen this. So sometimes though, and I think this would be a key success at Amazon is to make sure that the metrics you're pinned against, like you've done your own sanity check. And if not, you need to get off that team. Because I think sometimes you, everyone has experienced this in his career. Like you can be pinned to a metric that you know, going into it is bad. And like the only thing you should do is get off of it. Don't argue well, it. But the, get away. They, they, they also say they don't expect everything to be hit because if you're hitting everything, you're sandbagging, right? So, you know, you, you, you have to, everything can't be a hundred percent achievable. And they, they keep bringing things back to, so, you know, so we ran the metrics, you know, we, we analyzed our metrics and went going into our planning. So they, they're right. doing so they a say, lot I think they say like, clearly 75%. So this, okay, again, I'm just yeah. going to go back to like, again, I'm just the guy trying to do the metrics. I'm like, well, I'm reading the principles. It says deliver results. How do I deliver results? I meet my metrics. Now, did I catch a metric that is, is not supposed to be obtained? Like, how do I know I'm, I'm, I'm on the, that part? Because like, <laughs> and I see this all the time. I I think everybody on this, listening to this podcast has, has, uh, um, has experienced this, like, Listen, because the company can maybe miss it doesn't mean you're going to benefit and your life is going to be good if you're missing your metrics. So if the goal is to deliver results, I've been potentially pinned down with a bad metric. I know it, but I can't go into the meeting and say, I'm not, I don't believe in this metric. Like you're in a real bad spot, right? You know what I'm saying? You're in a really difficult culture. Uh, And if you're looking at that every week, you're not meeting that metric. And even if behind the scenes, they don't care about it. That's a bad year. That's a bad year for your life. So I, I just, bar, I don't know. Bar, I just bar kind of, lean into it, Brandon. Maybe, I was going to say, maybe I have a little PTSD, <laughs> but I'm just like, I've been in these meetings and you're like, when the metrics are not flowing and it's not going well and there aren't any plans, like people start leaving the team and the people that are left, you know, the beatings come pretty, pretty, um, pretty quick. So maybe, well, I don't well, know, let, let me, take, take me out of this. Maybe I'm being too, yeah, too yeah, stark. Yeah. No, no, I, I think, I think, well, first of all, I think you are hitting on, I mean, this gets to my point of like, there's a slightly, not slightly, there's, there's something missing from, from what, from the toolbox uh, presented here. And that is, you know, the mysticism of just like, how does this not get fucked up like other places, right? How do people actually do things? So let me wrap up this little area as, as you two were talking, I was thinking like, okay, so my original, my original question here was like, all right, everyone does like an annual planning process. Uh, and I think, I mean, I've been in a very small way involved in annual processes, uh, annual processes, annual planning processes. And I would challenge anyone to say that it was an, an insanely, you know, fuckload amount of work, even though we made slides. I mean, I, I, there's, I didn't sleep very much during that time. A lot of analysis went into it and reworking stuff. Now, the question is like, so why, what are they doing different? Like, what are the, what are the, the mechanisms that make things different than they are where in other places? And I just want to, I don't know if these are right, but there's three that I kept thinking about as we were discussing this one. And you brought this up, Brandon. It's like, there is something slightly different about this notion that senior management S team, I, I can't make myself use jargon like that, but the senior management feels 
a tremendously amount more committed to the metrics of their underlings, right? So it's sort of like, I remember there's one part where the authors are like, and then the S team takes on these metrics as like their goals, right? Like, so there's, and, and then as you're saying, right, another part of that, Brandon, is like, and then you actually have to check the metrics, <laughs> right? Like that is an important thing, which I, I can see, I could imagine and maybe have even experienced at various places that like senior management doesn't really understand and check the metrics, right? Like beyond like, you know, hairs on fire type of metrics. So that's the second thing. And then, and then, well, that's, that's one related thing. And then I think, I mean, we should get to this eventually. I mean, I think the, again, to be a little previewy, I mean, I think there's two core things that, that are the culture here all sorts of other things, but the two core things are like, we give a fuck, right? Like we are here to dominate and win. And like, that is the culture that we have and how we got to that point is we just haven't lost it yet. <laughs> right? Like, it's just like, I'm sure from those billboards I saw, I'm pretty sure Thomas Edison gave a fuck for a long time. Right. And uh, you know, really put the heart and soul into it. And it just kind of faded out into all that stuff and was renewed several times, whatever. But, uh, you know, I think, I think so you have that and then you've got like, they don't have PowerPoint, which like sounds absurd, but it does introduce a whole other way of doing things. So, I mean, maybe we'll come back to this, but I feel like those are like the only two major things. There's a couple of other things like the sell thing uh, Matt Ray keeps bringing up. So you've got that different in the annual process. You're writing memos. They don't call them memos, but you're writing memos, right? Uh, six page memos. And then the other thing which Matt Ray brought up, the third thing is like, uh, there is a sense of severely limiting the choices of what you do. They don't put it this way, but it almost feels like unless your name is Jeff, you're not allowed pet projects. Like no yeah. one, no one is allowed basically to use a metaphor from the DevOps world. You treat your business units as cattle instead of pets. Right. Definitely. And you, you definitely, you just like, maybe not the people, but the, you know, the people can get moved to work on different things. But in most organizations, like if you have like, let's just say five competing business units, one does not go and eat from the other business units fridge. You don't even eat their garbage, right? Like you don't touch their shit. Like you, they may get less budget than someone else, but you do not go and mess with their shit. Whereas yeah. it feels like here, it's slightly different, right? Like you could just be like, yeah, this doesn't get funded this year. And also you've got to go help out with this. And like, so those three things might be a different way of doing their, their annual planning, but like, it's still like, I mean, forgot it's, it's like, it starts in the summer and then you're going to get your money. I forget if, if Amazon has a, the fiscal is synced to the calendar year, but you know, that's such an insanely long amount of time to do planning. And anyways, so that that's an area, like, I think there's another level deeper on there that would be like, all right let's get some jaded McKinsey and Bain people in there and have them compare and contrast this in an honest way. Right. And be like, cause you know, McKinsey and Bain and, and the other one, other management consulting groups, like this is their bread and butter. Right. So they've been through this experience over and over again. Right. And so it'd be interesting to have them contrast and kind of like, kind of go in and show how, how this thing is different. Maybe there's a HBR article about, so let's, let's close that one out. And then, we have a let's talk about the uh, the two pizza team thing 
Brandon, because you, as you said earlier, you discovered that no longer are two pizza teams, the dominant theory, which as I, I, I uh, you know, I'm pretty sure this means everyone who has a microservices presentation needs to go rewrite a few slides. So this is vital for anyone who's doing I, microservices. I, I, I got to stop using my, my, my favorite quip about uh, if, if you can't beat a, a two pizza team, you know, you're, you're doing open source businesses wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was something they called out that it was actually kind of like a little little, little nugget about Amazon that, um, that ultimately that they stopped using that a while back and they said now it's single threaded leader. And so really what they, I think what they said in there and to paraphrase it is that, hey, as things got bigger, you know, the idea that you could just limit it to two pizza teams was a little bit, you know, too constraining. But what they didn't want to lose to your point about, uh, I'm just going to call it accountability, Coach A, like, you know, get, you know, really caring, right, is that that it's mm, going to be clear yeah. in this organization who is the person that is 100% accountable. For, and I think this for, for this audience, for every AWS service, right, there's one person that's accountable, right? And the same thing on the retail side. For all the retailing, um, you know, various projects, there will be one person assigned. And so, and then within that, right, they talk about have, having structured those teams and the single thread of leaders going to have the authority and the budget to do what they need to do to ultimately meet if you will, their S team objective. Right. And so, um, and again, like, I don't, I think the two pizza teams is the reason I think we always talk about it is, is, is a great metaphor and you can kind of see a room of that, that's a size. I think single th- threaded leader is something that's, I don't know. I don't think people say use kind of the programming terminology. I think they just say, you know, this is the leader, this is the GM, right. That's normally yeah, say. Yeah. The and, gen- and, and this and general then- manager in, and that, that sort of edged up to be like, well, this seems more, more common than the way that it's perceived here. Um, what's yeah. my take on that? And and to add one detail, which just to, I, I don't think you mentioned it, but just to make it very explicit, like that, that single part is also, if actually implemented, which let's just assume it is, is incredibly unique. And that is that the, the, the person only does, has responsibility for one thing, not two things, not two and a half things, but there's the one thing that are no, responsible no, no for. No matrix it. management here. Yeah, and and there's there's a couple of stories or anecdotes where like uh, things were going poorly because there was not only not one person who owned it, but they weren't fully dedicated to it. Right. And things would flounder around, and that so that appears to be like, and again, it just kind of gets to the question of like, yes, but how do you mm-hmm. make yourself do that year after year? But that is something that is effectively that I feel is a, a different mechanism than most people would have is that really you have these people who have singular responsibility over things. Now, the sense that I never really got is like how low down or high up the stack that goes, so to speak, right? Like there's some cutoff point where you need to have like multi-threaded leaders because the company's multi-threaded, right? And, you know, that that's another, I mean, as a footnote, that's another thing that, 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 I would get confused on in the book sometimes is like the, the scope or level of work. I always had to remind myself that they were discussing things much, much higher level at a corporate level constantly than sort of like even at a business unit level. So for example, the whole annual planning thing is like for gigantic corporate initiatives, like not for like, you know, are we going to up, Grade web sphere, although yeah, I, and so I think you know, the way it, you know, I think the title is generally vice president because there are several anecdotes about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they'll say something like, uh, "There was a project assigned to this vice president," and then they will say something like, uh, "Jeff Bezos would come in the room and say, 
like, what are you doing this and this? And then they would, and then they would, he would say, yeah, I'm doing both. And then they would say, who's in charge of it? Like they tell this story. They say, well, yeah, that, he would say like a story. product manager. And he says, well, does that product manager have all this uh, responsibility Sorry. and capability to yeah. do what they need to do? And they say, no. He's like, well, then they would, then the assignment becomes, you need to go hire someone to be the single threaded leader for that. And then they would kind of make some kind of like, kind of offhand comment, like don't come back to the office or don't come, don't have another meeting with me until you've hired the person and that that person is doing it. So they tell that story yeah. multiple times. So I, I kind of took it like, and I'm sure, you know, there are different things. So it's like, that's kind of a VP level, right? Like that's really what they're saying. It's like a single threaded leader. Probably it's probably not hundred percent true, but like it generally does seem like it's the VP because they talk a lot about in their meetings, they'll have the, the S team is sort of like, it'll be, the S team. And then they'll say like, when they do annual planning, there'll be like 40 or 50 vice presidents in the room. Right. And then they'll have behind them, they'll have like, you know, it sounds like almost like a Senate hearing behind them. They'll have like probably like marketers, product managers, engineers, senior leaders that are, are like ready to jump in and help out questions. So uh -huh. that was my yeah. interpretation of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, the Politburo. <laughs> so, so there, I mean, I mean that, so, uh, you know, so did, did he actually say there are, no more two pizza teams or like he just said they don't the, use it they don't use that phrase anymore is what he said okay okay so, so maybe the it. maybe the mechanism still exists and you know as 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 a uh, another thing of how things are, are drastically different uh like i think this discussion happens kind of in the same area where basically i don't think he ever uses the phrase tech debt but at some point they're like we had to write rewrite the monolith over multiple years right and i think this this is another thing that stood out as like a big difference. And it, I guess it goes back to my point is like the big difference being that they actually did it. <laughs> right. Like that, that they at, at a very, and to be less, to be slightly more helpful, somehow the senior management, the S team or whoever realized that decompose as we would say decomposing their monolith into uh different services was a critical business capability that they needed and was worth doing right yeah. versus pretty much the discussions i have with most organizations the tech people are always like it's like remember for the past four years it was always going to be Mataglasius would be like it's infrastructure week and then nothing <laughs> happens like every everyone agreed that the infrastructure is crumbling and no one ever does anything about it right, right. It seems to be the norm for most organizations like y'all were talking about Pfizer stuff uh last week and you know the mainframe is going to never go away or, or whatever or exactly. ach is, is right. never going to go yeah. away and so like versus i mean ironically because i think your assessment was right it's like amazon will just be like oh here's the ach service done but like metaphorically speaking at amazon they would have gotten rid of the ach service and gone over to the iban system we have over here in europe whereas brandon specifically said he doesn't want emails about he knows <laughs> is better right but <laughs> Somehow Amazon has this culture, which again, I feel is not really covered uh, instructionally in the book of yeah. like, they actually did it. Right. And I think this is like inside this book, sometimes I think they reveal things that are like kind of not direct, but like, you know, they go over that very specifically that Andy Jassy was uh, the first uh, shadow, right? The first role for you know, basically shadows him goes everywhere as technical assistant. And it's, it really comes down to, I think he he, along with Jeff, and I guess you can maybe figure out like who really figured it out was like, they could see that this was ultimately the bottleneck. Right. And yeah. they had enough knowledge 
of, I, you know, cause I would just say this is just object oriented the way they describe it in the book. I think this is where the authors are a little bit, they, I don't, I can tell they were more on the retail side, not the AWS side, because they sort of kind of yeah. like describe it differently, but it's just like, really what it just comes down. I think anyone that's been through object oriented way back in the day, all the small talkers out there, it's like, you know, what is it like a loose coupling, high cohesion. Right. And you could tell like, they clearly yeah. knew that really well. And the person that was convinced of it was the CEO founder who could make it happen. Hence, you know, that's the thing that is truly different. Very rarely, if ever, and you could say like, I mean, it sets Amazon up for like to be a multi-trillion dollar company. So they, maybe this is the mother of all digital transformation stories, right? But it's just not told this way. Is that, no, the person that really understood the pain had all the power and the will to make it happen. And that's the difference. Most places don't have that kind of person at the top that truly would care about it and see the value of it. And it seems just right. very unique to that, to Amazon and hence that famous memo from the Google person, right? It's like, well, yeah. go ahead, Matt. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm so, so in parallel, uh, uh, Steven Sanofsky over at Microsoft, or, you know, formerly Microsoft, um, he's been writing his, his, you know, history of, of Microsoft and, uh, putting it out as a weekly newsletter kind of thing. And, um, it parallels this a lot, right? Cause he was actually Bill's, you know, Bill G's shadow and, uh, got to, to do that sort of thing. And, and so I was kind of in my head thinking, you know, this really isn't that different. And, you know, even like down to the, like the planning meetings, but what they didn't have was this, the cell based thing, right? They didn't have, I mean, they, they never had somebody who came in and instilled like, this is how we're going to do this. You know, we're going to have this, you know, highly regimented API based organization that just never had that. And, and so when you think about like other leaders who come in and try to shake things up, you haven't seen this, like, you know, all the leadership books about uh, Steve Jobs, it was never like, oh, Steve whipped Apple into shape. No, it's like, he just kind of menaced people into doing what he needed. <laughs> you yeah. know, there was no, nobody, nobody ever was like, I need an Apple book to tell me how to organize my company. Yeah. No. And I think the yeah. answer, I was going to say, just to say, I think very few like leaders of level have like really yeah. studied object oriented, like really understand it. It's like when you start, if someone start, you start to explain the, the benefits and the, you, you see executives like kind of say to themselves, I don't care about this. This isn't my job, yep. whatever. Right. You know, yep. this is like the conversation we're always having. And it's like, so it's just unique that like Bezos and, and Jassy, like they got it. Like you didn't have to explain it to them. They knew it and they were in the, in the position of power. And I think most executives just would not think it's their job. So it's, I don't know, it's a, you know, a really interesting story, I think, about that. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, so to close that out, I mean, I, th I, think I think we're getting a little closer towards like, what is the, what is, what is the actual differences here, right? And to use, to use Matt Ray's thing, right? You have, you have a, a cell-based uh, mentality for things, right? The kind of componentized out. And I think if I remember the story, right? That was that was the outcome of solving the problem. The problem they had is like they kept trying to add new functionality and integrate stuff onto the monolith. Yeah, and the database didn't and, work and it kept failing. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and it's just like to use my jokey way, like you just always had the ERP system was, as you said, it's a bottleneck, right? And, and what, as, as to try to put it in a pat way, what seemed different here than other executives that I've read about or kind of vaguely encountered is, as you said, Brandon, there was this understanding of like, we're, there's too many dependencies and we can't do things because we have dependencies, right? And so therefore, 
we should figure out how to not have dependencies. And it took a long time. And, but that was the thing that, that probably was different is like, we need to solve that problem rather than like, as, as y'all were kind of getting at, rather than like, no, 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 it's my job to be a CEO and be a manager, not sort of figure out how things are operating. And I think it's analogous, right? Like as, as famously, like you see kind of play out in like lean manufacturing, right? Like, there's always this, uh, how do you say it? Je ne sais quoi. There's always like this essence when you try to apply lean manufacturing that's hard to kind of get at, right? And similarly, right? Like I would assume, I don't know, that if you're like that the big, bigger global manufacturers, manufacturers out there, hopefully there's many people on, this, on whatever they call their S team who actually could like go to a factory and be like, this is how that operates. This is how this runs. This is why you don't do this. This is what matters here. Like, I bet like FedEx people know how FedEx works, right? And so that's that seems to be another like critical thing that isn't, ex- it's kind of in the principles, but, and I don't know, I think maybe it's explicitly said a few times is like, it's almost like the, you've got like a full stack CEO, like that should know how the business operates and use that as a way to guide what, what their management stuff is, which I think, again, would be probably different than a lot of organizations. Yeah, and I think you see this, we've talked about it every year, we talk about the Jassy keynote and like it kind of like, this does reveal like, why does Jassy know so much? It's like, you see, like he's constantly reviewing these metrics of all the services at a detailed level. And I think that comes right from Bezos and others. So that's, that is truly different, right? That that I think the level of detail that this leadership team can, inv- can, can absorb is, is probably unprecedented. Like it, it, I've never seen anything. And that's kind of back to what you said, Cote, just a shorthand is like, like they really care. And the way that, you know, they really care is that they don't just attend the meetings is they read all the memos. They do all the homework. They know all the metrics and it comes through when you watch Jassy present at AWS. And I think that's very right, unique. Right. No other tech CEO I've seen can do that. All right. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's, we've been recording and also just talking with each other for a while. So we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to reveal too much. But <laughs> is, I, is, I, is it time to get to the week's news? I, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I want, I want to I propose that we, uh, that we do a little quick thing here. I want each of us just, you know, a very, for however many minutes, I don't know. I'm doing air quotes for two to three minutes, which is going to be longer. Like what, what's a point that you thought was interesting that we haven't covered yet? Good or bad or, or whatever. You go first, Brandon. I think probably the, the biggest thing is just I took away from this. Was, it was sort of like it's a great look at the culture. I think probably the, the part that isn't revealed is like, you know, just how difficult I think in some cases, you know, working at Amazon and you hear other things around um, the compensation and how it works and kind of like how the uh, the weekly meetings go because this is written from a group of people that are two people who are very very positive and they really walk right up to the line when they talk about they say something to, to the effect of like well occasionally a few of the weekly business review meetings would be a little tense right which is like which <laughs> like to me I'm like from other accounts you're like wow this is really you know going to be a very, very intense place to work. And every week, right, you're going to be reviewing these metrics and be, you know, really have to know about what's going on. And I guess the question I would always have there, it's like, like, why do people dislike those meetings? It's like, 
if it's about exchanging information in the free flow of ideas, that's one thing. But if it's a lot of, um, you know, browbeating and like how much can you take it and how well you respond on your feet and things like that, it's like that is definitely opening a, a different side of this culture, right? That I think kind of like you kind of get a peek into here a little bit. So, so that was kind of maybe something I just thought about was that there's a lot of things that are interesting here, but at the same time, as much as they're data driven and things like that, the core tenet of the company, I think is, you know, to get people to excel, you have to really hold them extremely accountable. And you're going to do that by having these very intense meetings that um, really force them, I think, to probably do a lot of prep work. I would assume they try because they, they even talk about it. They cause a lot of anxiety, right? And they even say like, when you present, um, it can make or break your career, right? Like these meetings. So, so core, you know, I think that's just something I took away from it. It's like that's a cornerstone tenant to Amazon. Is that like the pre- they keep the pressure on because that's the belief in the way that they get results, and you know. It clearly works, right? I mean, I can't deny their success, but it's sort of something that I think if as a reader, you can walk away from and be like, is that the only way? And is that the environment I want to work in? How about yourself, Matt Ray? What's something we haven't, uh, whether it's some, some little uh, topic they bring up or mechanism or some reaction or thought, what's, some, what's something we haven't covered yet? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, uh, several points in the book. Uh, they, they are like, we could go in a lot deeper on this but that's for another book, right? So, so you feel like they were probably like, the original draft was a thousand pages long. And, you know, they probably, had, they probably had entire chapters on the leadership principles. And instead, like, like we mentioned earlier, they kind of cut it to like, they hit it in like four pages. You know, they're like, here are the leadership principles. Here's how we came up with it. And uh, let's move on, you know? And um, so there, there's despite being, you know, 220 pages or whatever, like it's actually a fairly short book, Um, you know, and and you could tell there was a lot of stuff just left out. Um, Things that we didn't really cover. uh, I think we actually covered most everything. I mean, the, the takeaways that I have for, you know, if, if, if you're trying to emulate Amazon, um, you know, they, they have the whole, their hiring process, very descriptive. They pointed out a way, a lot of the ways that bias got into the system and mm. what they did to correct it. Uh, I don't, you know, we didn't really talk about that much. Um, I, I haven't seen other places emulate Amazon's hiring process, but it actually sounded pretty good with, you know, they have people who are not related to the, the hires being done in the process to make sure you don't do emergency hires. I've seen that, right? I've definitely seen people hired because, you know, it's crunch time and somebody, you need a warm body and Amazon resists that strongly, uh, which is a good idea. Um, I've, I've, you know, seen some bad hires. I I don't think we uh, covered that too much. Um, Well, that's good. Just one, just one thing. One thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What were you going to say though? I cut you off. Yeah. I mean, but but my, my, my takeaway is, you know, you need, you just need rigor. You know, you need to stick to a process and have buy-in from your organization. Because what I usually see, um, and, you know, organizations I've been in and I've visited a lot of organizations is people just seem to be kind of slapping things together. And, you know, the plan changes every three or four years. And like, you know, Amazon has refined what they do and uh, it's pay, paying off. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so th- this was apparently, uh, I have followed the master and this was a David Plotzian last question. You know, you know, Brandon, how he always asked uh, Emily and, and John Dickerson questions. Yes, of course. And then, and then at the end, he's like, wow, y'all answered a different question than I intended to uh, a- answer <laughs> or ask, but whatever. So here's what I was going to an- say is like, uh, I, I mean, you, y- y'all more or less did, but like one thing we didn't mention is that like, tell me if I get this right, is that the maximum salary you can get is $160,000 a year. And yeah. everything everything else is given in equity. And like, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And, you know, it's one of those things where like, I don't know if I would, well, I mean, hindsight, share price, obviously, I would want to but like, that, that another thing we didn't talk about is like, you know, oh, it's kind of in the thing like big picture is like, really maintaining a long term focus, which is unique and execute. I don't know. But that by giving employees equity, you are making a long term focus incredibly important, right? Like that's, you know, we in the tech world, this is what I tell people at non tech companies is like, we're not great at it, but like I have seen and experienced firsthand that if you give people like options or RSUs, equity in the company, they tend to like be much more long-term focused and focused on the company as a whole, right? Like, yeah. like you're not, you don't just go out for like, I'm going to get this cash payout at the end of the year and there's nothing else. Like you actually kind of care about the company as a whole. So I don't know, that seems like an interesting thing that is very different. Right. And I assume, I mean, he's, they say it applies to everyone. So in theory, it would apply to executives as well. But it does. Uh, that seems like a different mechanism that most organizations could look at using. I mean, it's also one of those things where like. Unless a company went through like complete bankruptcy and weirdness, like like Sears did, like you could never get that in place. <laughs> right. That would be I mean, you'd be like. Hey, let's have the meeting about your pay cut, right? Like, like, <laughs> like that, that kind of stuff wouldn't happen. But anyways, all right. So now let's, let's, so uh, do, do you think people should read this book? I'll go first to model the, the answer so I don't pull another plots. But like, yeah, I mean, I think it's, a, it's, it's definitely, uh, if, if you read these kind of books, you should read it. Like, I think it's good. Oh, yeah. It had. I, I think. I think we've gone over. At least I've gone over what I think the the. It's not fatal, but what what the what's lacking from it again is like a, a more link. There's two things majorly lacking f- from it for me, which is one, just a lengthier conversation of uh, how do you keep saying it, Brandon? You really you're accountable. You really care, <laughs> yeah. but like you know, you just that that if you were to look at the gradient on one side is no more fucks to give. Amazon is the exact opposite. Yes, they have, they've got, that. they've got buckets of fuck to give like <laughs> all over the place. Uh, and so, so that seems like explaining that, like that never really stuck in my mind. Now the whole interview process is a way to preserve that. Right. And like, a six page memo is a way to make sure that PowerPoint doesn't obfuscate that and kind of weaken it. But like, it's never really clicked how that was. And then the second thing is just that comparative thing of like, it would be great to get people to compare like how, especially the the annual waterfall planning process, like let's get more detail about how this is actually different. But I think, you know, if you've listened this far, you should definitely uh, go check out the book. And I think the audio version is good because a lot of it is narrative stuff. And, um, you know, it's it's easy when you're, you know, walking up to the, the barrel toilet by the zoo. Yeah, and to, just uh, to wrap up, I think stuff. the one thing to call out for everyone, I think 
Um, anyone who's listened this far probably is worth reading. But the other thing is like, I think anyone that wants to work at Amazon, like if you want to apply to Amazon, you should definitely read the book. I'll also just call it, we didn't go over it, but they really go through the job interview process. And in the audible version, they actually show you, um, uh, some written feedback, uh, from like a sample feedback of like how they write up, um, like if you did well in the interview and that really is, I think like the, uh, the answer key to all your questions, right? Cause you basically can see that and just to like, to quickly say, it's like, if you're going to go interview at Amazon, know the 14 principles, be ready to give an example in your career about how you did that with some very factual proof and use the pronoun, pronoun I be like, I created this and I did this and I did this. Cause they, in the, and when you read the way that they do the feedback, you can tell that's what they're looking for. And they even use this phrase about like, uh, this candidate was a passenger, not a leader. And so the, what they're looking for is answers with statistics and that you take credit for doing that. And so that sometimes that's not natural for people, other people it is, but like, so if you want to work there, I think that's the answer key. Like you can, you can definitely be a lot more prepared for your, your interview. And I think for everybody else, it's like, you know, kind of like we did It's like, you should definitely read it, decide for yourself, which of the things you think are maybe unique and which of the things are, you know, maybe you know, kind of run the mill. All right. So how about yourself? That, that's Matt, the right? question. Well, I was going to yeah. say, that's the question. Do, did this book make you want to work at Amazon? No. Well, I think we'll let, I think, you know what we should do? We should let everyone determine that on their own. I think that's, uh, but everyone should go read it for sure. I mean, I mean, you know, it's how it's, it's how, you know, things always depend, but like, uh, may, maybe there's like other ways of Amazon operating, but yeah, it just seems like, uh, it seems like to do another gradient. If, if like the Australians think that like work is punishment, this is like the opposite end of that. This is the complete opposite. So it may like, seriously though, when I was reading it, I was like, I wonder if they employ, employ any Australians and like, how do they find Europeans? Like it just, this, it's a very like hard charging American culture that like, it's uh yes, hard enough to find Americans who consistently, as we've been going over, there's plenty of Americans who will talk about behaving that way, but it's very hard to find even Americans who actually will do that day in and day out. And then if you expand out to like, and I by no means mean this in a bad way, you expand out to a country like Europe that's sort of like, hey, man, we got life figured out. We're like on, we're on, we're done. Uh, so versus other places, it'd be difficult. But yeah, it, it, it seems like it'd be a lot of work to work there. Who knows? So uh, I think we each had a recommendation that we went over. We don't need to have one here. So uh, we'll have to pick out another book to read for the next Software Defined Book Club, uh, if I remember how to say that. Yeah, and just, with uh, that, I was uh, going to say, well, hey, just before we go, I did want to, like, a couple quick yeah. hitters on uh, listener feedback. Uh, just want to let you know that Michael wants you to work over from CloudBase. He wants you to be a senior DevOps engineer in EMEA. Dell, you know, Kote, you have some familiar uh, familiarity with them. So they have a bunch of things like data governance leads, uh, se senior manager, software engineering, business process management, all kinds of stuff. And then Doug wants you to work at uh, Ethos Labs. So lots of different jobs. And of course, any of that stuff, if you want to know uh, more about them, if you go into the Software Defined Talk Slack, you join it, go to the jobs channel, you can actually talk to all the people that 
um, posted that job. And I will, uh, for, I will give one bonus recommendation here this week. Cause I, uh, Brad Stone, the author of the everything store just released a new book. It's called Amazon on down sort of the second chapter. So I actually started that one cause I was sort of, you know, finished. And, uh, so if you want to kind of go the other way, if you're not looking for, if you want to hear about all the stories and kind of the gossip and, and what's going on and you want more Amazon, uh, check out Amazon Unbound. It's actually very interesting to kind of read these back to back. So I just thought a little bonus recommendation. So Kote, thank you. Thank you for letting me get yes. all that out. That's good. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. See, it's oh, this, look at that. Zipper, right? Right? Nothing, I mean, there's nothing in there. And then <laughs> it's also like this, this zipper goes down like way far, like you're going in a 70s disco situation. I don't know, but I think you're into outerwear now. I think this is more like, what's it made yeah. of? Yeah, That's this like is an outerwear, outerwear this thing. Is and then... See? Yeah, yeah. You got this is like a shell. This is like a shell okay. for like oh this is not a hoodie.